Welcome to the Knowles 24-7 podcast. This is Brendan Sinone with Chris Nee, Bob Ferrante. We're filming or recording outside uh, because it's Labor Day. Uh, offices are closed mostly inside the Florida State Moore Center, so ambient noise will be a little bit different, but bear with us. Uh, guys, we got a lot to get to today, starting with uh, with some quarterback changes up with uh, news on DeAndre Francois' injury. We're going to get into Alabama game, do a little bit of a recap on that, and then kind of talk about where FSU goes from here. Let's start off with the big news of the day, which is Jimbo Fisher announcing that DeAndre Francois uh, is out for the season, will undergo uh, surgery on Tuesday to repair a, a torn uh, was a torn patella? Torn patella tendon. Tendon yes. in his left knee. He suffered that in the fourth quarter against Alabama. You guys are already well aware of that. James Blackman is going to be his replacement. Uh, so I guess what does the quarterback situation look like now for Florida State without Francois? I think it's very to be determined. I mean, what we know about James Blackman is he's tall, he's thin, he's got a big, very natural arm where he can put it down the field relatively easily. Teammates are singing his praises. Al Gabberly did after the game. A few of the guys we spoke to on Monday did as well, both offensive and defensive. Jimbo was very high on him, spoke very highly about his maturity, his ability to handle a huddle, his ability to absorb offense, to handle what's being thrown at him. But I think the abundant message today from Jimbo during his 30-minute press conference was that this isn't about players on the team elevating because now DeAndre's gone or individuals worrying about it. It's a team dynamic. FSU's going to be as good as they are as a team. They have to absorb James Blackman into that dynamic and just kind of take him under their wing, and it is what it is. I mean, the offense obviously will need to be very efficient and capitalize on opportunities, but it's going to be a work in progress no matter what. You know, with James, it, it's pretty much – this is very complex, and I'm sure his – his eyes and his, his thoughts are going to be huge. It's going to be a difficult situation for him. But you know, Jimbo really stated the obvious, just play the way you play. Don't try to be bigger than the moment. Don't try to do too much. Don't try to beat DeAndre. What, what James has is a lot of talented receivers around him. He's got a loaded backfield. The question marks on the offensive line are not going to go away. There's nothing you can do about that. But I think the situation – you know, you never want to see a starting quarterback go down, but Florida State will be at home Saturday against a far inferior opponent with a bad defense. James can be at home for the next three weeks. We're going to see a lot of progression and growth from him. He won't have to deal with things like crowd noise when he's trying to take command in the huddle or if he has to make a check at the line or if he has to audible signal. He will be much more comfortable trying to do all of this at home. Mm-hmm. I think... It's a, it's a terrible situation for them to be in, especially this early in the season. You'd like to have James get some experience and some other opportunities maybe late in this you know, week two with ULM. But it is what it is, and I think, I think the team's ready to rally around him. It, to me, uh, trying to think back of other past years when FSU has had to go with backup quarterbacks. We have 2014 with Sean McGuire against Clemson. Uh, 2015, obviously, it's Everett Golson and Sean McGuire kind of back and forth there for a little bit. Uh, this just feels really a lot of unknowns with James Blackman, and he's almost enigmatic. Like even as a recruit, kind of knew he was tall. Like Chris said, he's tall. He had a big arm, skinny, uh, but not like really a whole lot known about him. He was relatively under the radar. He's a guy who didn't do a whole lot of the camp circuit stuff. Like he, he's a guy that that kind of snuck under the radar, uh, and Florida State was really happy to get him. And at the very end of the recruiting process, uh, talking to some people that are that are close to him, I mean, it was not just USF and UF, but. Uh, I mean, Tennessee was a school that he really, really liked. I'm trying to think of who else Louisville was in the Louisville, West Florida Virginia. Was getting in there some. Um, Florida actually made a late push at yeah, him. Jawan Sider, who has ties down there, was yeah. part of the reason for that. And they said it was too late. I mean, basically after Florida struggled in the um, 
in his bowl or yeah, in his bowl game, they kind of went to look at, at quarterbacks, and it was too late. Blackman already made up his mind. But this is a guy who had a lot of interest late in the process. Uh, I guess Chris said it with your recruiting background. Why was Blackman underrated? Uh, why do we maybe not know as much about him as we have well, other Florida State recruits in the past at that position? Part of it was being a Glade Central kid. You're kind of you know if you're in the muck, you're kind of hidden in some ways. The other thing is he didn't do a lot of quarterback camps. He didn't go to a lot of camps in general. He camped at FSU, earned the offer there. That's what kind of landed him on the squad. He also camped with USF and was very impressive at USF. Josh, in fact, posted video of that camp today on the site. Um, so I think it's kind of a mix of those things. And he, he's a kid that he's raw. He's developmental. He's got a very special arm. But, you know, on the hoof, other than the fact he's 6'5", he doesn't stand out. He's real thin. You know, there's not a lot to him, but you watch him throw a ball and you realize, man, he's pretty magical from the shoulder to the fingertips. He can let it rip and he can let it go down the field. He's a kid that naturally can just put it down the field. He's an effortless thrower. You know, somebody on the board was talking about watching pregame warm-ups, and it's very true. You watch him throw compared to Constantino, Francois, other guys on the roster, it's just different. It's kind of a natural, easy thing for him to push it down mm-hmm. the field. Now, there's a whole hell of a lot more to the quarterback position than that, and that's where the thing with James is going to be interesting is because he's a developmental kid when he walked in the door. You need to mentally develop him probably more than anything. Now, he sounds mature. A lot of people have spoken highly of that fact, but still – you went from like a three-year plan to a four-week plan with the yeah. kid because of the injury. I mean, it's kind of unheard of. And I, I can't remember another situation. Jimbo referenced Gabe Gross at Auburn as a freshman quarterback that he's dealt with. But I can't remember another situation where guys so green behind the ears has been thrust into his position in Jimbo Fisher's offense. I mean, Jimbo's never had a true freshman. And since he's been at Florida State, yeah. play quarterback. Right. Forget start, play. Uh, the, the, once, correct, the generational know. quarterback redshirted for a year. I mean, yeah. that tells you everything you needed to know about how he handles his quarterbacks. Yeah, I mean, he has a complex offense, and there is a lot to learn, especially at that position. I think the one thing that we've kind of heard consistently, again, we're operating on the assumption that someone's doing a wheelie, uh, that James Blackman is, <laughs> is there's not a whole lot that we know about him uh, and I think that's something that we're exploring as a staff this week. That's something yeah. I think every single outlet on this beat is exploring is who the heck is James Blackman. The one thing I'll say from early uh, reporting and trying to figure that out from just talking to players and, and Jimbo today, the one thing we keep hearing about, and Chris, you mentioned the physical traits, people like his presence. Yeah. Uh, that's been a consistent theme as people have gone out of their way. Landon Dickerson was talking yeah. about that. Darren James was talking about that. Eberly talked about it on Saturday night mm-hmm. when he was asked about James, a, that he has an it factor. He does. Eberly said it factor. Yeah. Oh, that, that's that's right. Good memory. Um, yeah, so he has a, a steady presence to him, and people from from Belgrade have said the same thing, that that was kind of his thing. Is he was a natural-born leader. He's a quarterback. Now, whether that translates to being able to handle the, the spotlight as Florida State finds itself in some really intriguing big-time primetime games, that. That's up in the air. That's what we don't know. But. Yeah, I, I, I think the interesting dynamic, too, is that the offense is going to be different because you're going to have to scale back the playbook. He only knows so much. He's only had so much time to yeah. absorb it, to practice it, to rep it, to understand it. You're not going to go with something in games that you don't trust, that you haven't done in practice. And mm-hmm. with a new quarterback, you know, you only have so many reps you can go back on film and look at. So they're going to obviously scale back the offense. But I think the structure of the offense, the way they try to attack teams, the way they go about their passing attack – I don't think that changes drastically. The skill set's not drastically different. Yeah. Better arm, a little less of a mo- mobility type guy who's comfortable with mobility, can move the pocket and throw on the move, but DeAndre's more of a threat to tuck and go. Yeah. You know, we don't see it a great deal with what he's done in the past couple of years. 
But I don't think the offense is going to have an overhaul. I don't think you're going to see something drastically different. So that kind of benefits the guys that will surround James and help him go. And obviously FSU has a fairly decent offensive line, especially when it comes to running the ball. They were so very good at it last year. Some people are ro- rolling their eyes right now, but can we all agree that they looked okay against yeah, Alabama? Yeah, they, they exceeded my expectations yeah. entirely. Everly played far better than I expected walking in the door, truthfully. Outside of Cole Minshew's couple instances of falling apart in the third quarter and Dickerson kind of whiffing on the block that resulted in the play that ended DeAndre's season, there aren't a whole lot of examples where the O-line was just kind of whooped. And that's a good thing. Against a defensive line, defensive front of the caliber of Alabama, that stands out. I mean, I, I think it's clear that that group, has taken it upon their shoulders to be better. Mm-hmm. Now, you can do that all day, and it doesn't always translate to being better. But I think it's it was clearly evident on Saturday night. They wanted to be physical. They weren't going to get shoved around. They wanted to kind of set a tone. I mean, Everly getting after it after a play is a good example of that. I think we saw that they're, you know, they're a little pissed off about how they were the talking line, about the all line season. Is, yeah. yeah, so – they, they need to be a good group. They need to run the ball. FSU's offense is going to be run heavy. You have to be. You just yeah. naturally want to allow a guy to set up the pass with the run. Mm-hmm. So I, I think you're going to see that dynamic change. They were very pass-heavy against Alabama. I think they're going to kind of transition to being more run-heavy. Mm-hmm. But we'll get into that more later, I'm sure. But that, that's the biggest takeaways I have about changing of the guard at quarterback. I, I, part of me wonders if it could be you – know, Jimbo Fisher said today that, that – they're not planning to change a whole lot of what they do. But naturally, FSU's offense was built around DeAndre Francois. They tear things to him. Jimbo Fisher does that as well as anyone. He has a playbook, and he starts you know, bringing things down, simplifying it, and then expands it to his guy. Yeah, yeah. So he's had a year – I mean, now going on year two in a full yeah. offseason to plan with DeAndre Francois. Yeah, 15 spring practices, yeah. 20-some-odd yep. preseason practices. So I that, mean, that changes now. That's, that's, that's 40 practices that are all modeled around this guy's going to run the offense. This is how we're going to do it. So. And Blackman's been here. It wasn't like Hawkman, Bailey Hawkman who came in in the spring. And right. it sounded like he, you know, Fisher said today that he had an illness and the there's something going around that locker. He also had a thumb issue, I believe. Thumb issue that kind of stopped him, you know, slowed him down. So he's had some things that, but but so basically, you're now looking at a guy who's only been here for a month. He's been in Tallahassee for a little bit more than a month, and you're. I'm just assuming you're naturally going to have to change your offense and and not dumb it down. That may not be the right way, but you're going to have to simplify it. But is there something to a quarterback who has never been taught how to think? Playing quarterback at FSU, that's intriguing because to me it is. I mean, I've, I feel like guys with Francois, with Winston, those guys were kind of prepped to think this way. Blackman's just going to go play well, football. He hasn't been taught how to think yet. I mean, he hasn't had enough time. Uh, not not been taught yet. to think under Jimbo. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I, I was, to to gonna, have a certain kind of mindset to run the FSU yeah, offense. He doesn't have that. The, the question yeah. to you guys is, is there, with the athletes that they have on offense, uh, with the offensive line, I think it's going to be competent throughout this season. I think that was the Presuming best Presuming it stays healthy. Yes, all, all of this, obviously, <laughs> with health in mind. Um, is there something that could possibly be, I don't want to say blessing disguise, but, but this offense may be liberated a little bit to be free. Yeah, um, I think... So the, the confines aren't going to be as restrictive. You're yeah, not going to be able to just be athletes and go make plays. You almost have to be loose because you just have to get it done. Yeah, and, you have to And be. Jimbo referenced, we're going to do what we have to do to win games. Mm-hmm. When he asked, asked about changing the offense, approaching Blackman, using Blackman, dealing with Blackman, we're just going to do what we have to win games. I think that motto kind of fits for the whole offense at this point because... Well, you know, it's it's entirely different than what you expected to be for 12 games, one game into the season. Yeah, we're going to get into expectations, recalibrating in a little bit. Let's, guys, focus on Alabama. We're going to go good, bad, and ugly. Let's start with the, the good. 
I think you have to start with the defense. It was really as good as you could have expected the defense to look. Derwin consistently making plays on third down to get Alabama off the field. He, you know, hitting Jalen Hurts um, on the rush to uh, to kind of re, you know, make that pass be an incompletion. Derwin was all over the place. We saw good plays from Matthew Thomas in, in run pursuit. I thought the big plays were because of miscommunication, as Jimbo talked about today, with the uh, the safety not kind of helping out Stanford Samuels on the corner. Mm-hmm. But overall, with the exception of a few chunk plays, that the defense was was really really good. Five chunk plays, and you know they kept FSU in the game and gave them the opportunity to try and rally, which kind of brings me to, to the bad. I thought Florida State's offense had opportunities on Alabama's side of the field. I think it was four or five drives that went, let's say, at least inside the Alabama 40. So when you get to that point on the field, you have to be thinking, okay, these are point-producing opportunities. And instead, whether it was play calling or execution, DeAndre staring down some receivers in the second half, the two interceptions, I thought that was just – it was bad because there was something uglier, and something uglier <laughs> was the special teams. It was as awful as I think we've ever seen in, in decades of watching the sport. You know, they, they checked off the bingo card in every way. They, they found <laughs> five, six ways to, to lose this ball game where, you know, realistically, they gave up 10 points. The defense basically had it down to 14-7. To to they were mm-hmm. in the ball game. And um, it, it was really frustrating. I think Jimbo clearly is frustrated. He saw some things as far as how their splits were on the punt block, for example, that he said they hadn't done in 29 practices leading up. And you see guys who are, it's their first game, they make some mistakes. I think Alabama probably saw some things over eight months of tape. Yeah, Saban reference Saban sees things, his staff sees things. They've got GAs and QA, QC guys. They pick apart this game film for eight months of course they were going to find things it was just they found so many things on special teams and that's what kind of tore this this game apart late yeah they got they got pencil lipped and and on far as special teams are they got exposed and it wasn't just execution i mean guys aren't lined up correctly in splits that that's on the coach because that happened jimbo kind of said that happened progressively throughout the game they got wider and wider i think um and on that pump block yeah for, for me the good I, I think is not just the defense, but the way the defense operated and was handled by Charles Kelly. I thought this was one of his best game plans we've seen since 2014. It helps when you have the pieces to to do that, when you have Derwin James doing everything. I mean, he was lined up all over the place. He was at safety. He was in the slot cornerback. He was at linebacker. He was edge rusher at times. He did everything for them. But credit to the coach for putting him in a position and then putting other players in positions to thrive too. I thought Florida State really played to its strengths. We saw formations where they had uh, like four safeties on the field at one time, no linebackers. They were basically using their depth at safety to create an advantage against a really you know pretty athletic Alabama offense. Uh, Derek Nottie was excellent, held up well, and Florida State really showed a lot of faith in, in its backup defensive tackles as well. You saw Wally Amy and, uh, and Fred Jones in there a lot, I think about 25 snaps combined for those two. So they, they were in there for almost half of Alabama's offensive snaps. Uh, so, so Florida State found a way to get, get different guys in the, in the game, uh, fresh on defense, uh, and a lot of versatility. And now what do we got? A, a, a bone dry. Bone dry uh, truck, uh-uh. Um, sounds like there's a, a leak somewhere in Doak Campbell Stadium. Um, but there was just a lot of good on that side of the ball, and I think encouraging stuff for Florida State going forward because we had questions about how Kelly can kind of navigate this defense. Uh, 
I'm, I don't have a bad. I'm just going to go two uglies, and that's the special teams, terrible, and, and DeAndre Francois lost for the season, and I don't think I have to elaborate on either of those. Those were just, you know, special teams can't be that bad. It can't lose you games in that many different ways, uh, and then you lose your starting quarterback. When we did the top 30 most important players list, he was number one on our list for the reason. He's the most irreplaceable guy, I think, on the roster. So that's that was my three. Yeah, to add to Bob and Brendan is uh, – on the good, I thought the way they started the game from a play calling and approach standpoint was extremely impressive. The offense was a lot of quick passing, started 9 for 11 in a passing attack, and a lot of short passing, which kind of replaced the running game. And Jimbo referenced today that was sort of the plan of attack. Um, a couple other good things. I thought the O-line in general was good. Now, I had low expectations, but I thought they were fairly good. I thought they did a good job of protecting for the most part of being physical, of just kind of bringing the game to Alabama. They didn't let Alabama completely dominate and dictate the trenches when they were on offense. I thought the bad was – I thought the play calling left something to be desired in the second half. The first series was very good. It kind of got blown up once FSU reached about the 35-yard line. After that, FSU kind of got – I don't know the right word to use, but got down, a couple interceptions, a couple miscues on special teams, and it's like – all thought went away. They completely abandoned the rushing attack, and I know you're not going to have success against Alabama running the ball, but I feel like you have to be persistent with running the ball, and FSU certainly was not that. Mm -hmm. The ugly, no doubt, special teams. If that's the kind of performance you have in the final game of a season, a lot of times a guy who coaches that position will probably lose his job, plain and simple. I mean, it it was atrocious. It's, It's abysmal, and there's no excuse, and we've discussed special teams a great deal on this podcast, and I mean, hell, they're not good. That's a Bob Ferrante uh, fingerprints all over this this podcast. FSU's special teams currently are not good. They've gotten progressively that, worse, uh, too. I think that's the, the and concern. I, right? I, don't, I don't think it's a matter of they don't care about them. I don't think it's a matter of they don't practice it because we certainly know they practice it. They literally open practice every day with a walkthrough of mm-hmm. special teams. Today at 4.15, that's what they'll be doing to start practice. It's just a matter of it's not good. Like It's a results-oriented business, and the results of FSU special teams is that they handed Alabama a victory on a silver platter. And, and I think we should talk about people who are, are, are mad at Jay Graham, and that's the running back they coach, a special team. Just, He's just, a guy that coaches it. He's a guy that's – it's his job to make sure it's right. If he can't do the job, he either to not have the job or the person running the business, the CEO of the yeah. football team, needs to understand he can't get it I was going to say, this isn't on – Jay Graham. He's a yeah. running back coach, yeah. and he does he coaches that position well. He recruits at a pretty high yeah. level. He does a really nice job complimenting to get in big but running backs. In special here. teams has special been bad team. under Jay Graham. And, that, and that's uh, – we can't ignore that. That's – yeah, he's – it's gotten progressively worse since when Charles Kelly was the – the special teams coach in 2013, I think it was, and they were a top 10, you know, based on the FEI index or whatever it is, uh, they were top 10 in that, and they've got progressively worse each year. And let's not act like special teams is solely done by one individual. When they're out no, there on the field, Jimbo's out there, Jay's out there, you know, Brewster's talking about up backs block, and there's guys involved in it. When they're doing field goal and punt block, there's other people it's involved in the collaborative. It's a collective yeah. thing. But the person that's leading the charge is Jay Graham by title, and I know that's almost almost – an item that's only on paper like mm-hmm. it's not really a real thing but at the end of the day they need to change their philosophy yeah. but I'm just saying Jay Graham's not getting fired because the special team no. sucks but you, you maybe have to you don't maybe I think at this you point have you have to change the approach to, of how you, you do your special teams you have to relook at and whether that means but, but I don't know if there's anything you can do right now I mean here and, no and, I mean that just seems like if you want to bring in someone 
that has a better grasp of, of what that all entails. Like it's not I think right now you drive it home in the meetings and hope the players take it to heart and yeah. do a better job on their end. You know, Keith Gavin is the person that made the mistake on his fumble. Yeah. Well, that's not something you blame on a coach. But the problem is there was such a collection of errors on special teams that then it falls back on coaching, yeah. and that's rightfully deserved. Yeah, at that point it's not a coincidence that it's happening yeah. that much. And we've talked about the progressiveness. It's a the, reoccurring yeah. instance. All right, so was that your, was that your ugly? Yeah, it was I mean, no, it was ugly. All right. Uh, where does FSU go from here? All three of us had Florida State losing this game, so that wasn't a shock. Uh, and the game kind of went as planned, uh, a little bit lower scoring, but we kind of thought it would be close until the special teams implosion, um, and that really changed things. Uh, but, but I guess what do we learn about this team as it applies going forward, especially now that DeAndre Francois is not in the picture? They're willing to be a physical bunch. I mean, that was one thing that stood out to me. Last year, I think it was fair to say they were soft at times and they lacked the ability Certainly to set it down. Certainly they were really soft. And I thought against Alabama, who's as physical as they come, they did a good job of kind of trying to set the tone, be physical. You know, freshmen like Hampson Nazarene popping the guy on the sideline, knocking yeah. him out, keeping him short of the first down is an excellent example of that message it. getting across yeah. to a young Him and Calvin Ridley almost got into um, it a couple times, I think. Yeah, and uh, they, there's fight. There's no doubt there's fight in this team. I thought offensively there were some miscues, obviously. They didn't run the ball very effectively, not going to against Alabama. I think they're going to be fine in that department. Mm-hmm. Passing attack is very much, as we said, to be determined. But there's plenty of skill. The O-line looks a tick better for sure, possibly even more so than that. So I feel like the offense has potential of being good. I think the defense does truly have potential of being elite. Yeah, um, I think that's you know, really I'm clear. not going to go all in on that after one game. Sometimes you got to have a good night out, especially when you're motivated. But the pieces are there, and they look like they could perform in that fashion. They have the so horses it's a very good to sign. be in the elite defense. Yeah, and, they and have all the positions. That's a trend that truthfully continues back to some of what they did in the latter part of last yeah. year, with yeah. how they performed at times with some of the guys that are still on the roster. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I, I said 11-1, and one, always expected Bama to be that one. Obviously, I think they'll drop at least another one, you know, Playing a freshman quarterback is just going to happen. You're going to have a game where you're going to get behind and you need your guy to bail you out, and he's never been in that situation against big-time college defenses. Something's going to go wrong. I just think that's kind of a natural to expect. Another loss beyond that wouldn't shock me either. So I guess I'm readjusting about 9-3. and three. I think they can still compete, though. Um, I think the coaching staff, especially Jimbo, is going to earn their money. They're going to be putting the – you know, the, it's on them. They're going to have to scheme to win games. It's not about we're going to, you know – play this game and we should win because we have these players. It's more about we're going to have to hit these plays to get points to win games. I, I think that's going to be the interesting dynamic storyline to watch throughout this season. I think the talent around Blackman is is really much improved compared to a year ago at this time. I think if you're looking at the 2016 receiver group of Rudolph, Wilson, Whitfield, you'd go, oh man, this is not going to go really well with a true freshman quarterback. But now we've seen the emergence of Auden Tate uh, Nyquan Murray, Keith Gavin. Gavin, throwing away the kick return, had a really nice night on offense. Mm-hmm. And I thought Tate, he went downfield. Yeah, over the, the touchdown middle. catch was uh, the touchdown catch on the fade. Special. The, um, yeah. the throw over the middle that he got from Francois. That was fantastic, there too. Was, there was an arm yeah. on him. Clearly, he was trying to knock the ball away, trying to hit the arm, but Auden, you saw pulled it in secured. George Campbell looked healthy. George yeah, Campbell. Yeah, he did. They, I think they kind of sandbagged a little bit with with him. He got the, the I, I, I think he's touching up to yeah, something. I mean, but be. the good sign is he was good in a game situation. Yep. And now we know that there's some depth after that third receiver position. We, we kind of think that Campbell is going to emerge. We might see more of Tamari and Terry down the road too. Mm-hmm. And also, as, as Chris was mentioning, the offensive line did look better than we expected. This 
could and should be a better offensive line than last year as long as injuries do not build up. Mm-hmm. I think you know, the, the one main question mark is how much Cam Akers can be the guy. There's a lot of what we saw from Jaquez Patrick that just didn't work as smoothly as we thought. How much of that is Patrick? How much of that is what Alabama shows on defense? Yeah. But I think if you blend in Patrick and Akers, you still have a really nice you know, sort of one-two Maybe not punch, but but maybe Akers is more of the starting back, and maybe Patrick is more of the guy who wears you down as the game goes on. Mm-hmm. I, I think when you look at the schedule, it's set up where there's not difficult back-to-back games. There aren't difficult road games, with the exception of the ones later in the year at Clemson and at Florida. So I think they could do really well at, on the road until you get to those November games. This is a team where at, at home they could find some success. I, I do think, like Chris, you're going to find that unexpected loss. It's just where is it going to pop up? You know, is it is it a potentially a Louisville team with a, a great quarterback putting things together in October here? I think nine and three, ten and two. Um, the expectations of the playoff are probably out the door. But I think if this team happens to put together a run, they're still in the ACC race, going up to Clemson in, in early November. Um, yeah, I, I had ten and two going into the season and I thought just because of the schedule and this the schedule doesn't change and it's still gonna be really difficult the part that's concerning to me about Florida State is they had at least somewhat I don't even know what that kind of vehicle is making that noise now um (laughs) they at least had a they were not going to be their quarterback was going to be as good as any quarterback they faced if not better and probably better than almost every every opponent they're going to go up against and now that's a huge unknown um, so I struggle to think of what the record's going to be now um, be- because it is an unknown. I-, I will say that I think the offensive, like Bob alluded to, the offensive players that we saw, the skill guys, we thought they were going to be good. We thought they were going to be better. I wasn't sure. I think what we saw on Saturday against Alabama pretty much confirmed to me that they are more talented at wide receiver. Cam Akers, guys, is going to be special. Saw a couple times yeah. in those runs that, that it just popped. It looked different than anything else we had seen that he, night. He was on the verge of two huge plays, and I, I know game of inches is cliche as it comes, but there he was, was no, literally he was, on a stretch he, play. It was an inch play. He was right there. Um, it was only a couple of runs that we saw. I mean, he had 10. I think he had finished with 10 carries, 30 yards. One reception. Um, he may have been the most talented back in that game yesterday or on, on Saturday and that's including Alabama's guys and obviously it's just it's a different you know they have experience and, and Alabama's offensive line is, is better than Florida State's is right now but I, my point being that there's talent Jimbo raved about Ryan Izzo and I mean I've been high on him for all offseason and think he's for a freshman quarterback he's going to be his he's best gonna friend be, too he's going to get Maven Saunders in there too you're going to have a lot of big bodies so I guess what I'm saying is I don't think the bottom falls out. I think there's a reason for concern, and now the odds of something going bad multiple games obviously goes up exponentially, um, but there's still a scenario. I think Florida State can still win every single game remaining on its schedule. I do think that they, they will be able to be in it. I just think now there's a lot more that can go wrong. So I guess as we kind of recalibrate, I think this is a team that probably drops two more games. Uh, but I think that, that if you told me at the end of the year that they go 11-1, and one, I wouldn't be shocked. I'd be impressed. Uh, I, I think this team has a, has a chance to still be good. Best of what we've seen is just the, the biggest, most important position is quarterback, and that's your biggest unknown going into week two. One thing to pile on top of all that discussion, the ACC came out a weekend not looking too Not looking impressive. great, yeah. Um, NC State, you know, everybody's darling in the preseason, sort of laid an egg. Now, South Carolina seemed – I didn't get to watch it very much. South Carolina seemed to play fairly well. Mm-hmm. 
But, you know, that's a game if NC State wants to take that next step and become the fight in Dorans long term, they need to win, and they didn't. So, you know, if FSU's O-line can play, I feel much better about the NC State game being a W than I probably did, you know, when I thought FSU's O-line wasn't very good. Mm-hmm. Louisville, I, I don't know what Louisville has become. Like, I don't know if Louisville can get back to what they were early last year or if they've developed in what they were late last year or if it's somewhere in the middle. They didn't look very good. Clemson, I think, is going to be pretty good, especially as that quarterback position matures and potentially changes. So they're obviously the big elephant in the room. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you got Miami. You know, Miami's good. They got big receivers, a talented running back, a fairly decent defense. Their quarterback position still doesn't set the world on fire for me. And I think that game is a dogfight. I think yeah. FSU's going to have to play well, run the ball well, play good defense, and they'll have an excellent shot of winning it. But really, to me, that game comes down to which quarterback can make a play or two that helps him win the game. And I don't feel like, even though their guy's far more experienced, I don't feel like he has some huge gap of talent over the guy who FSU is going to be rolling out there. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think that that's going to be interesting to see with Miami because, like you said, I don't think there's still a dynamic quarterback that Florida State is going to see that's going to just give a team a huge sizable edge. Uh, it's the good thing for Florida State, but that also means that they no longer have that edge too over over teams where I thought that was going to help him out. I thought Jalen Hurts was going to be one of the best quarterbacks that they face overall in what he did, and, and he was dynamic yesterday or on Saturday. I keep saying yesterday. My times are all messed up. Uh, so, yeah, there, there's there's unknowns, um, but I think we all are kind of on the same page that Florida State can still have a good season. I just think the, the ceiling is a little bit lower, and, and as is the floor, too. Things could go bad. Um, it's, it's fun, though, because there's intrigue. There, there is. I mean, I, I do sense, I mean, for us, I think we're rejuvenated because we kind of have, yeah, covering this team, kind of had an idea of what it was going to be. Uh, now it kind of shifts. Yeah. I think fans are kind of interested to see what happens, too. Uh, I, I agree that there's some legitimate excitement to see, especially that you saw that, that two out of the three facets against Alabama, like this team was right there toe-to-toe with Alabama and and maybe if you get that P.I. call in the first half or, you know, Francois just puts the ball over, you know, a little bit further, you're Florida State going into halftime up. So uh, there's reason for optimism going forward. Um, we'll be back on Thursday to talk a little bit about recruiting with uh, with Newberg. I think he's going to have some uh, some recaps, right, Chris, with, yeah, with Alabama tidbits. We'll spend about 90 seconds talking about Louisiana Monroe because they're yeah. not really worth talking about. No, 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 that's correct. So it'll, it'll be a podcast uh, revolving around recruiting, which is what you guys like anyway. So... All right, I think that'll do it for this episode. Thanks for listening, folks. I'm Brendan Sinone. Thanks to Chris Nee, Bob Ferrante for joining me. Uh, We'll talk to you next time on the Knowles 24-7 podcast.